We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And now New Galaxy Broadcasting presents Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition, a program addressing the grave challenges to human and citizen rights in America and the rest of the world. How can we, the people of Earth, take back the power and privileges granted to us by God and address so significantly in the Declaration of Independence? Our rights are inalienable, that is, given by God and incapable of being taken away from or given by another. These rights are the basis of liberty, the foundation of all life and happiness. The Coalition of Planetary Empowerment is an organization designed to give its members tools and information to empower them personally, in relationships, and in business and employment but also to give them a voice and the ability to help transform political and corporate governance to support the true needs and desires of people throughout the world. Inalienable and Free focuses on the need for government and corporate business interests to be responsive to the will and desire of their constituents and consumer shareholders. Good morning. Welcome, world, to Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition. Uh, today's a somber day for me. I I feel this uh, program is being broadcast at a dangerous time in world history. Right now, the United States is playing chicken with Russia, the final stages of the war in Syria. Right now, Assad is the chance of taking back the last major stronghold of the opposition in Idlib province with the help of Russia. So we are doing certain things ourselves, which we'll go into. We call this program Intimations of Invasion, a deceptive Syrian narrative. More on this shortly, but meanwhile, on a more cheerful note, I'm joined by Don Newsom, the founder and owner of DBS Radio, who is thankfully with us today, helping us to produce this program. BBS is continually, BBS Radio is continually going through momentous changes now. So Don, could you give us another update on some of these changes and how they fit into the long-term picture for BBS Radio? Well, it would be a pleasure. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. Appreciate that. Yeah, we've had a few changes recently. We just finished all our government paperwork filing for our SAM registrations. Taking us over two years, but now we'll be able to take contracts from the government and uh, the federal buyers. So it should be really good business for our company to be able to bring that income into our into our corporation. Uh, it's been a long time coming. We're working with the finest team, one of the largest in the world. And they've already secured over 60% of the media companies in the federal database. Uh, they've been working with us um, literally every week for two years. And now we're done. And uh, we'll be submitting the final uh, paperwork from the last phase uh, this afternoon sometime. So it's going to get fun at the end of this year. It will get fun. Uh, another update. Uh, we just uh, finished registering our trade. Well, we, we started this years ago, folks registering uh, BBS radio, which we got in two global categories. Um, but we also wanted to register BBS because we felt we were the first in the world to ever use it for media and for electronic information. And so we went ahead and paid a lot of money and spent several years uh, trying to get BBS 
trademarked, but a lot of other companies were using BBS. It was the precursor to WWW, so we had to fight a bunch of them, write emails back and forth. We actually had to, one uh, one company, we had to make sure that they abandoned their their uh, desire to trademark it, and they went through the money process of doing it. We had to write letters, and then we got them to drop it. And then, uh, you know, you have to put out notices, and these notices gives everybody a chance to fight you on your trademark, and that happened a couple of times. We went through all that. So now we're into the last phase of just, wow. uh, yeah, uh, giving them uh, the mark status, and it should be sometime, I would say, in about two months, that'll be over. So we'll finally be fully registered with BBS as well as BBS Radio. So that's kind of fun. Um, and a few other updates. We have our new video production system in place. It's uh, We've tested it. We haven't run a live program yet on it, uh, not effectively anyway. So it's going to be uh, kind of fun to see how it does. We have a, a, you know, a three-computer system and a bunch of other equipment. But mainly what it's going to be doing is sending out extremely I mean extremely high-definition video. So we're not only going to be recording it, interacting with it, uh, and facilitating the live stream, but uh, it will be in phenomenal high-definition quality. So that's that's all coming, uh, or is here, and it's been a great week. Thank you, John. I have a, I, yeah, you're welcome, but I have another question about that. The government contracts that you're going to get, are they going to expand the programming that exists into other outlets, or is that for something else? Well, that's basically, you know, the, the government um, buyers usually need media done in various ways, like public service announcements, for one. Oh, yeah. Right? And then they need you to create it and then market it and spin it and spin it and spin it, right? And they yeah. want all the information in regards to that whole process down to a gnat's ass, to be quite honest. And so... <laughs> You have to be able to facilitate these things. Um, that would just be one angle, wouldn't it? But uh, there's there's many other angles that um, they can use us for for a media production company, a media service company. So, um, yeah, we're going to give it a go because we're going to be one of only about 170, 180 companies that are even, that are registered and finished and able to take uh, these type of contracts from uh, federal buyers. So... Uh, we're one of the rare few, uh, along with many AM, FM stations and big stations. We're one of the, I mean, 160 out of 80,000 federal buyers. Uh, you know, there's a lot of room. And so we're in it at the perfect time, in it early, and we're going to have fun with it. Great. Congratulations. Thank you for clarifying that, though. Yeah, that makes a lot more it. sense. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of digital stations that have got their ducks in order. They don't have their insurances. And they don't have their all the sign, uh, you know, they're not signed up with all the royalty boards, have all full coverage on their insurances for errors and omissions and all sorts of other things. And once you get your ducks in order, you're able to, uh, you know, um, play in a much more productive way. So thank you. Well, I'm glad. Thank you. Uh, anyway, uh, as I began to prepare this program, Don, on Tuesday, September 11, 2018, the anniversary of the most horrendous attack on our native soil outside of the Civil War, the world was facing another catastrophic possibility, a war with Russia. You know, it would almost seem like, well, nothing's really happening. If you read the ordinary news, there'll be some little tiny things going on. But there were a week week or two ago, which we'll go into, but uh, it it seems like a quiet day. Going to our lame mainstream news, 
yeah, few Americans really know what's happening now. That day, on uh, Tuesday, in the CNN app, there was a story of a Syrian cameraman who was wounded during an airstrike in Syria. There's many stories down in the app, in the CNN app. And though perhaps touching was a featured story, they con confiscated the much, much larger and more dangerous story that's taking place then and continues right now. For many people who have studied 9-11 from an independent standpoint, the conventional story that still is largely maintained by the government and mainstream news borders on the absurd. But many of the elements in the Syrian story are somehow ripples in the ocean of disinformation that robustly entered into the national story with 9-11. It's hard to prove that events like this are a false flag, but suspicious actions and deceptive narratives can lead to serious speculation on that possibility. There are reporters on the ground who have fed various alternative media with distinct claims based on first-hand observations and some footage. But that may be a third, but they're suggesting that this may be a third false flag, third one, recent history, the first two culminating with missile attacks by the Trump, edition, Trump administration in the first, and the U.S. with the England and France in the second. So is it... So it, it is with the Syrian crisis, which we shall see, that maybe something else is coming up, another third. But before we go into all that, let's take a little journey down memory lane. Let's remind ourselves of General Wesley Clark's discovery not too long ago, N-22. Through the Pentagon, right after 9-11, about 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz, I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the joint staff who used used to work for me. And one of the generals called me in. He said, "Sir, you gotta come in. You gotta come in and talk to me a second. I said, "Well, you're too busy." He said, "No, no." He says, "We've made the decision. We're going to war with Iraq." This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, "We're going to war with Iraq. Why?" He said, "I don't know." <laughs> he said, "I guess they don't know what else to do." So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. So I came back to see him a few weeks later. And by that time, we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense's office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. This is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. And then Syria. We had a chance to talk about uh, a, a wide range of international issues, including the situation in Syria. Uh, and I have to say that all of us who've been seeing the terrible pictures coming out of Syria and homes recently uh, recognize it is absolutely imperative for the international community to rally and send a clear message.
to President Assad that it is time for a transition, it is time for that regime to move on, and it is time to stop uh, the killing of Syrian citizens by their own government. Lebanon. They both had different reasons, the State Department and the White House, for wanting Israel to do it, encouraging them to do it, supporting them. Our Air Force worked very closely with the Israeli Air Force for months before this, not necessarily with a deadline, knowing when it would happen. It was always going to be whenever there was an incident, they would take advantage of an incident. Of, they would, the word I used was fortunate timing when Hezbollah grabbed some of the um, Israeli soldiers in early J July. That was then a pretext, I think that's the only word, for a major offensive that had been in the works a long time. Libya. Today we can definitively say that the Gaddafi regime has come to an end. The last major regime strongholds have fallen. The new government is consolidating the control over the country. And one of the world's longest serving dictators is no more. Somali. Well, violence isn't only on the rise in Afghanistan. In fact, it looks like America's shadow wars have now increased by one. Drone strikes have long been reported in Pakistan and Yemen, but now there's news that a week ago, a U.S. drone aircraft fired on two leaders of the Somalian organization Al-Shabaab. Sudan. President Obama is sending 100 combat-equipped troops to Central Africa to advise local forces on getting rid of one of the continent's most vicious operatives, Joseph Kony, the head of the Lord's Resistance Army, a group responsible for atrocities across the region. It's the first open deployment of U.S. ground combat power to Africa since the Black Hawk Down incident in Somalia in the 1990s that killed 18 troops. U.S. troops may wind up now in Uganda, South Sudan, the Central African Republic, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It's part of a growing military effort to engage in Africa. Finishing off Iran. Well, you know, we might, we might point out here that um, of those seven countries, Lebanon is gone and Iraq, they, they're, not using, they're not putting Lebanon there in the latest, uh, um, the latest list of countries. Uh, the, these are all five. Actually, right now, five out of these seven countries are on the President Trump's Muslim ban or the, his travel ban to the United States. Iraq is off, Lebanon's off, North Vietnam and uh, and Venezuela are on, and then you still have Syria, Somalia, Libya, Sudan, Iran, and Yemen. So uh, Syria and Libya is pretty much taken care of. Iran is, and Yemen is under tremendous attack. Iran is in the crosshairs. So, Perhaps uh, we could suggest that Syria is part of the neocon globalist agenda for uh, for regime change in these these various countries, and uh, we're making great headway if that's what we uh, should be doing. But let's go back. Let's go back to 2015 and and see what Trump said about Syria. That's N16. Donald Trump sat down with Bill O'Reilly for a hilarious interview about his presidential run. And he said something already disqualifying on the issue of foreign policy. But this is like the lightning round here. You just tell me how you're going to solve these problems. ISIS, 
How are you going to defeat ISIS? I would hit them so hard. I would find our proper general. I would find the Patton or the MacArthur. I would hit them so hard your head would spin. Now remember, and I sent you the document, I said in 04 we should not go in and do that whole thing with Iraq. It was a disaster. Because I said that Iran will take over and it'll totally destabilize the Middle East. But there's nobody bigger or better at the military than I am. Are you telling me you're going to send American ground troops into Syria? I'm not telling you anything. And the reason I'm not is because if I run and I win, I don't want them to know the game plan. Okay. Let, let me but just you say have something. To, you, Bill, if you I want agree. to hit them hard, I'm probably to going to have to say something. I have a way that would be very effective with respect to ISIS. But when I watch Obama get up and talk about in two weeks we're doing this and in three weeks we're doing that. Put American ground troops in to chase them okay. around? Take back the oil. Once you go over and take back that oil, they have nothing. But how do you take You it know, back? right, you have to go in. You have to go with in. With ground troops. Well, you bomb the hell out of them and then you encircle it and then you go in and you let mobile go in and you let our great oil companies go in. Right. Once you take that oil, they have nothing left. Well, <laughs> he sounds like he's a great general. <clears throat> Knows more than all the other generals, I'm sure, as pointed out by all the wonderful things he's done so far. <clears throat> anyway, not <clears throat> uh, not because of what he had said, but back on the campaign in 2016, Trump made another significant claim. I'm going to read an article from Vox, a little bit of it. On April 27, 2016, then-Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump used an invitation-only event at Washington's ornate Mayflower Hotel to argue the presidents of both parties had gotten the U.S. ensnared in too many costly, grinding foreign wars. That, Trump promised, would change once he moved into the White House. I will never send our finest to the battle unless necessary, and I mean absolutely necessary. We'll do only so if I have a plan for victory with a capital V, he thundered. The world must know that we do not go abroad in search of enemies. That speech was part of Trump's attempt to make a decisive break with the more hawkish and interventionist groups of his own party, which he blamed for the Iraq war and Washington's icy relationship with Moscow. He wasn't trying to argue that he... He'd be a different kind of president than Democrats like Barack or Hillary Clinton. He was arguing that he'd be a different kind of president than Republicans like George W. Bush. Flash forward, I remember this April 27, 2016, to the last Monday night, that's the reporter writing, when President Donald Trump announced he would be sending more American troops to Afghanistan. He stressed there would be no timetable for when these troops would come home, guaranteeing that the longest conflict American History will drag on well into the future. Conditions on the ground, he says, not arbitrary timetables will guide our strategy from now on. Later on, so that's a little bit what you call a flip-flop. Later on, not very long before the first attack on Syria, in response to an alleged chemical attack, he told the world that he was going to pull out of Syria altogether. But then he changed his mind. Big surprise. Well, let's take a break. So he's flipped out, flipped over a few times. <clears throat> he's about to, and he's now flipped again, several times in the other direction. But let's take a break about with a message from my company, New Galaxy Enterprises, potentially having a role in creating animation and comic book scripts. And then we have a real treat: Lightstorm's magical storm, magical song, "The Dance of Love." This is Johnny Blue Star, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises. 
a media content development company. If you have an idea for a partially developed script for an animation comic book or perhaps a comic strip, maybe my company, New Galaxy Enterprises, can help. We have worked on a variety of comic book features like an East Indian mythological epic, a variety of features for a webcasting show for children, scripts for an English satiric animation on the American presidential elections, and also comic strips for a book on entrepreneurship for children. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com and fill out the contact form.
back in March, I said, this is a quote from, from myself, uh, from someone who professed his dissatisfaction with endless wars during his campaign. President Trump has involved himself in a variety of policies and armed conflicts that culminates with his new picks, the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, National Security Advisor, John Bolton, and head of the CIA, Gina Haspel. These, in conjunction with Nikki Haley, ambassador to the United Nations, presents a dismal picture of the next steps in U.S. foreign policy. And if his own military involvements in a wide variety of ways were not enough, Trump is seemingly pushed into taking an increasingly adversarial position against Russia. All these steps towards war are intermingled with an immense lack of transparency and a suspicion that key decision-making foundations and facts and allegations may not be true. I'm afraid to say, you know, that back in March 1st, I was, I, I, I'm not much of a prophet. The handwriting really was on the wall. Let's go back to the Syrian narrative we've been speaking about with the following warning sounded out by John Bolton a few weeks ago. We are obviously concerned about the possibility that uh, Assad may use chemical weapons again. We had hoped that our strikes had created structures of deterrence to convince the Assad regime not to do that. Uh, we hope that's right. But just so there's no confusion here, uh, if the Syrian regime uses chemical weapons, we will respond very strongly. Uh, and they really ought to think about this uh, a long time uh, before they come to any decision, uh, because there's no ambiguity in the U.S. position uh, on this point. Well, just, just to be clear, regime change in Iran is not American policy. Uh, but what we want is massive uh, change in the regime's behavior. Uh, we talked about uh, the president's determination uh, in reimposing the sanctions that we're not just going to stop at where the sanctions were in 2015. Uh, our, our goal, our objective really is uh, essentially, uh, we'd like to say no waivers to the sanctions. So far, after a little bit over 90 days with the first wind down period now ended, uh, we've only granted two waivers, uh, both very limited. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that's intended to be a very different kind of enforcement of the sanctions than occurred during the Obama administration. But as I say, we're not going to stop there either. We talked about uh, additional economic sanctions that uh, could be imposed to achieve the president's goal of maximum pressure. This was followed by the claim of another false flag warning regarding a potential chemical attack by the Russian government, which has stated that the former alleged chemical attacks on Syria, which prompted U.S. strikes, were false flags. Here's how this latest uh, warning went down in 94. The United States is ignoring warnings that terrorists are preparing a chemical attack in Idlib province in northwest Syria. A State Department spokesperson simply said that they don't buy into that when asked about the intelligence provided by Moscow. The Russians are claiming that Al-Nusra and other groups are stockpiling chemical weapons and planning an attack. So you dismiss You know, that I think that's more false flag type reporting. We've, talking we, about we've this seen for a that while. before, so where they try to put it. the blame, they try yeah. to put the onus on other groups, and we don't buy into that. Russia says it has information on the delivery of toxic substances to Idlib province. It claims it got there with the help of the self-styled rescue group, the White Helmets, and then it's to be used in a false flag attack. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, explained the motivation behind the plot. 
The chemical weapons provocation which is being prepared is aimed at keeping al-Nusra there, counting on using it against the so-called regime, as they call it. Following the alleged Ghouta chemical attack, Russia's warning that rebels will try to stage a similar incident in Idlib to draw the US, France and Britain in, get them to hit Assad again. Russia says an incident is imminent, especially after the U.S. and allies jointly stated that they would act if it looks like Assad launched another chemical attack. That's almost an invitation to do so, says Moscow. Now, when the U.S. is stirring the situation around Idlib, we want to know how can Damascus have chemical weapons if the U.S., France and Great Britain destroyed them last year? You know what the U.S. answered? We never said that. France did. It's do or die for the jihadists, rebels. Nowhere left to run, nothing left to lose. And their sponsors, the West, the Gulf, which have pumped billions upon billions of dollars into a cause that's on its last legs. Damascus and Moscow are trying to work out a deal to reduce, perhaps avoid the bloodshed, but the jihadists aren't up for it. Syria, Russia are adamant. This swamp of terror and zealotry has no future. This is the last place for the terrorists, so from all points of view, this abscess should be removed. Of course, what everybody's fearful of is escalation. Given the U.S.-Russian military buildup in the region, everyone has a gun pointed at each other. And given that this is it, the final act of the Syrian war, the urge to shoot might just be overwhelming. The United States doesn't believe that uh, the rebels have that capability, whereas there's of tremendous documentation to show that they do have the capability. They've probably been storing it for months, if not years, uh, in the Idlib province. And they have used it in the past. They have that capability, and it is a last-ditch uh, hold for them, so uh, it cannot be ruled out. Uh, it's, not, it's not beyond the, uh, the, the realm of uh, possibility that the U.S. is trying to uh, get Assad out. Uh, they're going to continue trying, and uh, and even though Donald Trump wants to uh, uh, get the U.S. out of uh, Syria, there are elements within the U.S. government uh, that that uh, don't want that to happen. In the United Nations, there was to be no compromise on Italy by the United States on the Syrian crisis in '95. We start this evening at the United Nations in New York. There, the UN Security Council convened to discuss the looming battle over Syria's Idlib province. RT's Dan Cohen has the story. Stefan de Mastura, the UN's special envoy, implored the Syrian and Russian governments to halt operations to liberate Idlib province from its al-Qaeda rulers. The dangers are profound that any battle for Idlib could be, would be, a horrific and bloody battle. Civilians are its potential victims, and there are ever-present dangers in the case of a full-scale assault of incidents or rapid escalations involving regional and international players. The representatives from the U.S. and U.K. accuse Syria and Russia of targeting civilian infrastructure. There are more babies in Idlib than there are terrorists. And I think that should give those engaging in military action uh, pause for thought. When Russia and the Assad regime say they want to counter-terrorism, 
they actually mean they want to bomb schools, hospitals, and homes. Russia's representatives said the U.S. and U.K. have no actual compunction for civilians and instead are seeking to prevent Syria from regaining control of its own territory. We are firmly under the impression that our Western partners are stoking hysteria around Idlib and in any way are attempting to prevent the fall of the last major terrorist stronghold in Syria. And this is far more geopolitical than this stated humanitarian concern for the protection of civilians. Syria's representative accused his Western counterparts of minimizing the threat of the armed opposition. My British colleague said there are 50,000 terrorists in Idlib. Mr. de Mistura called them very few. There are very few terrorists in Idlib. But my dear colleague, we're talking about 50,000 terrorists. Can you imagine seeing 50,000 terrorists going to Manchester, wreaking havoc, and we would call them moderate British armed opposition? Can you imagine that? And then the OCHA would deliver humanitarian aid for them, so they stay alive in Manchester. It's absurd. Reporting in Washington, Dan Cohen, RT. For more, we turn to former Pentagon official Michael Maloof. Michael, thanks for joining us. You know, you have previously talked about how the Western attempts to isolate Syria and blame the Syrian government without evidence. What is your response to today's Security Council meeting? Well, I think it's a, a last gasp on the part of uh, the United States and the Western powers, uh, really, to uh, warn and 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 uh, try try to try to contain. Uh, their their image and their position in in Syria. It's it's a in, in terms of a larger context. It's, it's really an effort by the United States uh, to to uh, try and maintain their position, to maintain that influence. And they feel that if you go into Idlib, uh, it, it will get kinetic. And and what's also occurred in recent days is interviews with uh, James Jeffrey, who's now the envoy to Syria for, uh, for the administration, has basically said whether or not chemical weapons are used. The intention is if, if there is any uh, action, military action, the United States could, could step in uh, with, with uh, uh, a missile attacks. So that, that raises a further uh, issue of escalation that we might be uh, in store for. So this is, we're at a very ominous period. And it also shows that the Trump administration's um, neoconservatives have basically won against Trump, who ultimately wanted better relationships with, uh, with uh, Vladimir Putin. Well, that's interesting. You talk about how, you know, the significance of Idlib now, but mm -hmm. even to the bigger picture of mm -hmm. the U.S. strategy in Syria and the Middle East, what role is it playing? Well, it's, it's, it's having a, if the United States can bog down Russia and uh, the Syrian military in Idlib, then that prevents them from then focusing on eastern Syria, which is where the United States intends to maintain its position. The, the United States is looking for a way to maintain its position in Syria, and by uh, going with the Kurds in, that, in, in, uh, in eastern Syria, it, it, it certainly is going to aggravate Turkey. And so the, the whole idea, if they can, if they can keep uh, Moscow and, and, and Syria bogged down in Idlib, that gives the United States a longer uh, ability to, to uh, 
try to carve out a, a role for itself. Absolutely. Well, Nikki Haley has accused Russia and Iran of endangering civilians in Idlib. Um, but the Russian ambassador to the UN has said that the majority, 80 percent of the people in Idlib, actually went to see the war end as the terrorists are currently holding them hostage. Mm -hmm. What do you make of these conflicting comments and how can civilians further be protected? Well, there has been an effort to set up human corridors for months by the Russians. The Russians have sought to set up human corridors. They've also, through the reconciliation effort at Chaim Amin Air Base outside of Latakia, have tried to um, uh, bring in the militant groups and have them um, basically put down their arms and, and try to wean them away. But you're going to have the hardcore Al-Qaeda and, and ISIS uh, types who are going to uh, stay there and fight, and they're going to use the, the, the civilians as human shields. They may not even allow them to leave. So then the question arises, what does, what does Russia do? And, and, and here it means you're going to have to set up corridors, uh, strategic corridors, to go in and avoid as much aerial as possible, and even artillery. Okay, well, so if Syria, with Iran and Russia's help, manages to regain Idlib, what last-ditch effort do you think or you might expect for the U.S. to oppose that campaign? Well, if the United if if they go in kinetic into uh, Idlib, it's possible the United States could uh, go militarily as well. That will create a whole new uh, posture for the United States to remain there, and the whole idea is to try and protect their interests in East Syria, wh which is where they really want to hold out, because that also strategically helps them with Iraq. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us sure. tonight, and we're going to continue to keep our eye on the situation. Yes. Well, well, in order to uh, sort of equalize things, make things a little bit more cheerful, <laughs> we're going to hear a uh, promotion for a book by Ken Eade called Terror on Wall Street. Now, now these days, um, oh, things are doing really great on Wall Street. Uh, of course, we are, because of our friend Trump, accumulating a gigantic debt, tremendous debt that, that, that has not been uh, dealt with yet. And is there a ticking clock there? I don't know. But uh, let's hear let's hear the uh, the story of uh, uh, Kenny's book. He wrote this book with his father, as you'll see, uh, who was actually a very successful investor. Here we go. Terror on Wall Street, a financial metafiction novel, was written by Kenny and his father, Gordon Ede. The book describes a terror attack on U.S. retailers and transportation services that throws the United States into a financial collapse. In the midst of this crisis, a small band of students led by Professor Harry Mason raced to create a plan to save the U.S. economy. Here's a brief excerpt from the book during the first wave of panic on the street. It was like the beginning of the end of the world. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. That's what the survival hawks had said. But everyone had always thought they were crazy. Now, she realized they were right, as she watched the mobs of people looting the streets of Chicago, smashing windows and breaking down doors, as the police stood by in their riot gear, doing nothing about it. The sky was already a hazy brown, probably from all the fires. She could hear the fire engine sirens and had seen plumes of smoke from all over the city on her taxi ride from the University of Chicago. Keep enough cash in case of emergency. Even her economics professor, Harry Mason, who was a relatively conservative buy-and-hold investor, 
had advised her to keep cash just in case and to also have some hard assets in a portfolio. Shirley Baxter, called Snooky by most of the people who knew her, looked out the window of the cab at the chaos outside that used to be the streets of Chicago. Some people were carrying huge bottles of water, and some were rolling shopping carts filled with food. Others were stealing the spoils from each other. A rock suddenly hit the side of the cab with a loud clank, just missing the window, and Snooky ducked down. You don't want to go out there, said the cab driver, a rough-and-tough type with a pack of cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve of his T-shirt. Will we make it? Oh, you'll make it to the airport, all right. I don't know about your plane. Where are you headed? Washington. I'm supposed to be in a group who's testifying before the Senate Finance Committee. Well, you tell them for me that they've screwed everything up. Excuse my French, but there's no other way to say it. Over the last few days, Russia and Syria have initiated multiple airstrikes in Idlib province against supposed, supposed rebel forces occupying the last major stronghold. This is from a New York Times article just on September 8th. This is um, entitled Syria and Russia Bomb Rebel-Held Idlib Province. Syrian government and Russian warplanes bombed the southern edge of Idlib province on Saturday, ratcheting up military pressure on the densely populated rebel-held bastion. The bomb, bombings came a day after the summit meeting in Tehran, where the Syrian government's ally, Russia, Turkey's, uh, rejected Turkey's call for a ceasefire, while Iran, another Syria backer, called for a military push to crush the rebels and drive out American forces. More than 60 airstrikes, including indiscriminate barrel bombs dropped from helicopters, killed at least four civilians in the area, according to rescue workers in the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, a monitoring group based in Britain. The state-run Al-Ikabariya television station said the government was retaliating against shelling Friday night from rebel-held areas on a government-held town in Hama province, south of Idlib. Nine civilians were killed in the shelling, state media reported. State news agency SANA said government forces have shelled terrorist posts in northern Hama. But the government and Russian raids targeted a wide swath of, of rebel-held areas in the southern edge of the rebel-held enclave, enclave that includes most of Italy provinces and northern uh, Hama province. More than three million people live in the area, nearly half of them already displaced from fighting elsewhere in Syria. The observatory described the attacks on the rebel-held areas as the, quote, most intense since August, the local council Morek, a town that serves as a crossing between Hama and Idlib, sent an urgent appeal asking Turkey to intervene. We need a quick solution to our town or our town will burn, the official pleaded in an audio recording shared on social media platforms. Once Idlib is retaken by Syria, Assad will now control the bulk of his nation outside of pockets of rebel forces through Syria. The United States does not want Assad to regain this province, meaning that the war for now is mainly over. And for some in the United States administration, that could mean a very bad thing. And what should we make of this? I've given you a first-hand look at some of the mainstream news clips, but here's more complete analysis from Jake Morafonius, who's one of the most serious commentators in geopolitical 
news in alternative media. This is because he looks carefully at both mainstream and alternative news, but also appears to have some significant original feedback from informed military and intelligence services, active or retired. There are elements in his general point of view that I tend to disagree with, and others somewhat controversial that I need to do my own research on. But nonetheless, I believe he is a well-intentioned and extremely informed patriot, and what he is presenting here is rather important, something I've been constantly warning about since I began inalienable and free, the tremendous immediate risks of World War III and its potential for nuclear war. Thanks to Trump and associates like Nikki Haley and John Bolton, whatever military advice he's receiving, we're now at another Armageddon crossroads. See what you think. Here's what Jake thinks. In a September 10th video a couple days ago, calling U.S. troops being used as human shields in Syria in 96. Quick review before any major, and today is September 10th, 2018 for the record. Before any major media outlet in the United States had touched on this story, I had shared a handful of weeks ago with you uh, information that was circulating inside the Russian GRU regarding another potential Western orchestrated chemical munitions false flag operation in Syria. Uh, the GRU is Russia's foreign military intelligence agency. Uh, it used to be called just the main intelligence directorate, or in Russian, it's Glovne Pazvidets Venu Uh is how you say it in Russian, which is why we just call it the GRU for short. They're kind of similar to the U.S. Army's military intelligence corps. So what I had reported on was that within the GRU, they they had been tracking the activities of some British MI6 agents that were in the region uh, that uh, these MI6 agents had been meeting with members of some of these Western-backed rebel factions on the ground. Uh, and the, the Russians knew that it had been the MI6 back in April of this year that had helped to set up that previous operation in Duma uh, as the Syrian army was on the verge of liberating Duma from Jaish al-Islam. So that Duma operation was really just a repeat of a, the similar false flag that had been carried out in Khan Shakun further north exactly one year previously. And so that's why Russia came out warning the world that it had good intel that we were looking at the potential for a third event, that they had intelligence saying that a third event was in the works. So seeing that these preparations for a third event were being made to try and stop this third false flag from taking place, uh, as the Syrians and the Russians were kind of massing there, getting ready to fight off the, the al-Qaeda terrorists in the stronghold of Idlib, Russia knew that a, a U.S.-British naval coalition was going to end up coming in, building up their naval presence in the Mediterranean in advance of this, uh, this scheduled false flag operation. So they started talking about it. They started telling us. And I had also shared with you a, a week or so back in advance of any of the Western media reports coming out on this, that Russia was preempting that Western naval operation uh, basically by rapidly deploying its own naval armada off the Syrian coast to try and dissuade the United States and its coalition from carrying out this pre-planned uh, strike on Syria. 
because this time the strike was going to be a lot bigger. So a lot of what I had predicted in those earlier videos, uh, things that I forecast were going to come to uh, come to pass have taken uh, ha have taken place here in the last two weeks. So we have been watching this rapid movement of chess pieces by both sides in preparation for the next phase of this crazy chess game that they're they're playing. And of course, what's at stake is our safety, the people of Syria's safety, the, the safety of the whole world. So as predicted, what happened was Russia kicked off its air campaign, which of course, before a big military operation, you're going to use a, an air campaign to soften up the terrorist forces or the opposition that's on the ground. Uh, so they did this. They carried this out uh, in Idlib, and it's still going on. And this is being done in preparation for the massive Syrian army ground offensive that is going to be coming up. And many of the proxy fighters in Idlib, by the way, these are also backed by uh, Recep Erdogan of Turkey. So it comes as no surprise that Erdogan dispatched his defense minister to call for a ceasefire, uh, which, of course, at this stage is only going to benefit the terrorists in Ib Idlib. Doesn't help the Syrians, doesn't help. Uh, the country is just about protecting their assets. Now, last night, Sunday night, the Wall Street Journal broke a major story citing anonymous U.S. intelligence officials who claim to have proof that President Assad has, let me read the quote to you, that Assad has, quote, approved the use of chlorine gas in an offensive against the country's last major rebel stronghold. Now, think about that. Here we are. We've got the U.S. intelligence community. They are clearly moving forward with what's, what is obviously this planned out third false flag attack using chemicals. What the CIA is doing is they're building justification in advance of, of any potential provocation so that there are the warnings will be out there that the United States is going to launch a major attack against Syria. And we know this. We know that the USA, the diplomats in the USA, France, the UK have all signaled that they are preparing uh, an attack. Of course, they keep saying it's if this, if this happens. So it comes as no surprise that today, following last night's announcement uh, in this article, that immediately following the bogus intel that the USA knows for certain that Assad has already approved this chlorine gas attack, uh, which is just absurd. Comes as no surprise that today the Zionist propaganda minister in the U.S. government, I'm talking about John Bolton, he warned today that if chemical weapons are used in Idlib, this time the U.S., French, British coalition is going to strike much, much harder in Syria than they did the first two times. And it's going to be bad. Now, here's the part that is the most blood-curdling. According to unnamed officials that are close to the president, according to this Wall Street Journal article, based on this claim that the U.S. intelligence community already has proof of Assad's order to use uh, chemical attacks, President Trump is considering right now launching strikes even without a chemical attack actually being carried out first. 
The idea is to preempt a chemical weapons use by first launching the U.S. coalition strike. That's insane. And what's worse, according to these unnamed White House officials, Trump is considering expanding the U.S. strikes beyond what has been done in the past to not just strike Syrian assets, but also to strike Iranian troops in Syria and to strike the Russian Air Force. So the Wall Street Journal article, let me read a quote from it. Quote, The Pentagon is crafting military options, but Mr. Trump hasn't decided what exactly would trigger a military response or whether the United States would target Russian or Iranian military forces aiding Mr. Assad in Syria, U.S. officials said. To me, this is almost unbelievable. Maybe some of you don't realize just how grave this situation is. So let me read to you how Zero Hedge put it in their article. Quote, Crucially, this is the first such indication of the possibility that the White House and defense officials are mulling over hitting Russian or Iranian military forces in what would be a monumental escalation that would take the world to the brink of World War III. Wow, Don. I mean, th there's a lot in that this guy has just said, that Jake said here. Uh, what do you think? Well, What's your reaction to this? It's not good, of course. Um, you know, I, I realize that the military, there's a very nationalistic branch or people in them, not branch, but people in the military that were backing Trump because they didn't want Hillary in. And, uh, you know, because the Democrats were wanting to make a smaller military and, you know, dog them. And President Trump, you know, had a lot of help. Uh, and he managed to pull off the presidency. And now he's beholden to this military group that got him there. And so, you know, this military group wants to get out there and, and, and play with their toys and, and, and empire build. And Trump, like you and I were talking uh, about before, he's a businessman. He's an empire builder. It's what he does. He's good at it. He knows how to do it. He, he, he's been around that sort of building of, of structures and, let's say, an empire for a while. And and so, you know, he's falling uh, in line, uh, right in tow with what's happened in pre with previous administrations. Do I like it? No, it pisses me off. Do I think Assad has gas or is ever going to gas his people? Uh, uh, you know, I think that's the same intelligence we got, uh, like in Iraq. I think it's a lot of bullshit, uh, and it's unfortunate that Trump's towing that line. But uh, again, I think he. He almost has to, unfortunately. I, I mean, I'd, I'd hate to be in that position that he's in. Um, it's a toughie. Um, but, of course, I, it wouldn't be tough for me. I wouldn't be doing it. But then he's a man of a different flavor, and um, he wants to empire build. And you can hear that when he says, grab the oil, grab it all, give it all to our oil companies. It's going to make it everybody great. It's going to make everybody rich. That's a thing to do. Well, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I have a lot well, of reservations. Well, the thing is, he's dealing with a, you know, he's dealing with the Russian nuclear weapons situation too. I mean, it's they're playing in a kind of very stormy, potentially stormy playing field. You know, it's but like, they wanted this. This is the playing field that was set I, up all uh, along. I, yeah. But you have to admit that the, that by all accounts, 
the Democrats have wanted it too. They didn't even complain about these attacks he made on. Uh, right. On, uh, well, you know, they, they did, and they're all all for you know punishing Putin this way and that way. And the the thing is, as we'll go into later, uh, this is uh, this is empire building. This is a land grab. It's a land grab that's that's certainly fully backed by Israel as well, which has also been bombing the crap out of Syria for a long time. Dozens and dozens of attacks over the last year. So, um, yeah, I think it's empire building, and uh, but I think it's it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous, and you know the the that these troops are being used as human shields. That is terrible. Our troops are there. So right. Well, you know, our military has all always been about empire building, almost since day one. So it's again, it's par for the course. Do I like it? No. Do I understand it all? I don't. I don't understand the extreme um, dangers involved. I don't understand uh, what other characters there are in play. What other countries? I, you know, I don't have a great grasp on it. Uh, all I see is that it's business as, as usual. Yeah, and from an intelligence community gathered from an intelligence community that Trump seems to hate. So. Um, would they be feeding him bad intel? Well, I mean, they've tried to make him look bad in every respect almost. Uh, this might not be any different. Well, you do have a whole string of false flags and false information that we all know is true, especially most recently uh, loudly in the Iraq war. I mean, oh, oh my God, it was just all a bunch of lies. And, um, and it's been very specific, too. And I know the history of some of those lies, but they were, regardless if some people were skeptical, they were still lies and right. uh, omissions. Now, so let's just go go to a little bit of the news today. I I got the, this comes in. Uh, this was from RT. Um, uh, the USS Bulkley, a guided missile destroyer, has just entered into the. Uh, Mediterranean. It's another guided missile destroyer. It had, it had, the U.S. may have 200 Tomahawks ready for strike in Syria. Meanwhile, Russia is warning that the jihadist groups in Idlib are planning on a fake chemical attack. And here's the thing, Don, you know, we're talking about now, you know, there are different stories, mainstream versus alternative media. And the, the alternative media is saying very clearly these are al basically Al Qaeda and ISIS related terrorist fighters. They are not people from uh, uh, Syria who's re who are rebelling. They are terrorist groups that we've paid to, uh, right. to be there no to doubt. attack Assad. No doubt. And so so we have this uh, Arleigh Burke-class destroyer entering the, entering the Mediterranean through the Straits of Gibraltar. On Wednesday, the Russian news agency Interfax reported citing international maritime monitoring da data. So it's been confirmed, supposedly, that it's gone through and um, entering the Straits on uh, September 12th. With the arrival of the Bulkley, the U.S. forces in the region of those 200 Tomahawks, as we said, ready to, to strike. Last week, the attack submarine USS Newport News um, arrived in the Mediterranean as well. And last, last week, Russia conducted massive naval maneuvers off the Syrian coast, 
culminating marine landing drills and missile launches. The presence of Russian ships in the area was seen as a possible deterrent to further U.S. military action against Syria. Oh, my goodness. All right. Anyway, Washington has repeatedly claimed that the government in Damascus is preparing chemical attacks against civilians in the Idlib province, the last remaining bastion of jihadist rebel groups. The most powerful of these groups is Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, formerly known as Jabhat al-Nusra, is an affiliate. Now, there's something uh, I saw somebody go into uh, the sort of headquarters of Jabhat al-Nusra, and there's plenty of signs that it was a terrorist you know, affiliate, which it is uh, supposedly an affiliate of al-Qaeda, the terrorist organization that we hold responsible for the 9-11 terrorist attacks in 2001. Regardless of whether or not they are truly responsible, as we know, there's lots of discussion about that. They truly are terrorists, and they have attacked elsewhere in uh, all kinds of ways against our against our people, the White House, uh, or against uh, Western civilization. The White Helmets, a self-proclaimed civil rights group, operates solely in rebellious and rebel-held areas, also of a presence in Italy. Russia has accused the White Helmets of staging a chemical attack in Idlib in order to provoke a Western military intervention in Syria. The group has already filmed at least nine videos intending to serve as evidence of claims that Damascus has used chlorine against uh, civilians in Idlib, the Russian Reconciliation Center in Syria said on Wednesday. So, wow. The White Helmets are, are the ones that were held responsible before for these other staged events. And and I don't know if you recall this, Don, but they, they won two Oscars so far. <laughs> Oscars, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's give, give them Oscars. Man. Well, so you got a guy here, a U.S. senator, and uh, he is um, he had gone to speak with um he he had gone to to visit Assad and he had some he was uh, he, in his he he revealed how the Syrian people he says see their president what went wrong with the US policy in the Middle East and also expressed his admiration for the state of human rights in the country as quote Syria is the greatest woman rights and the greatest religious freedoms of any Arab country Black, a Republican member of the Virginia State Senate, has recently returned from Syria where he met with him. And this is what he said. The lawmakers, they tend to listen to the deep state, to the intelligence agencies whose principal purpose in the Syrian war is to create propaganda to deceive the American people what's going on. This is a state senator. Of course, we discussed with Assad the upcoming battle in Idlib. We know that the Syrian army has recaptured almost all of Syria and there's a pocket of ultra- extreme radicals in Idlib. People in Idlib live under a domination of these very vicious jihadists. They are headed by an individual named Abdullani. Abdullani was major figure in Daesh, ISIS. He's the top figure for al-Qaeda in Syria. Okay, so a further problem that Jake brings out in the video I just excerpted from, uh, U.S. troops being used as human shields in Syria. There are other so-called rebel troops in pockets throughout Syria, in addition to the more concentrated levels in Idlib. Therefore, it would make military sense for the Russians and Syrians to attack these pockets as well as Idlib province. The, pro 
The problem, though, is that U.S. troops are embedded with these groups and are, and that an attack on these groups would mean Russia is attacking the U.S. Russia has warned the United States about the dangers to our troops and pinpointed areas where they might attack. So here, so in Jake's opinion, uh, these troops have been put on there, out there as human shields to protect these rebel forces, forces which belong to or are direct, directly affiliated with Al-Qaeda and ISIS, enemies of the United States and the rest of the world, supposedly. And recently, they've sent more U.S. troops in instead of removing them. Now let's uh, take a break with a message about my general service and the Galaxy Enterprises, short message how to contact my favorite doctor, Dr. Hugo Rodier, who specializes in gastrointestinal problems with a strong emphasis on his practice of nutrition. And then it'll be followed by a great little song um, by Stephanie Slevin, who's uh, coming back, will be featured in this program, a wonderful singer from Great Britain, a very interesting person. We've done several hours of interviews with her, and she'll be singing Gifted. Um, so here we go from C2, C7, and M48. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be nonfiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio, or video products on the internet, television, or radio, musical scores for advertising, television, or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing and useful technology and offering platforms for positive, socially constructive entertainment or informative, transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast and we offer client-based and collaborative products as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. That's www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. Dr. Hugo Rodier is a medical doctor trained in nutritional medicine with a special interest in intestinal disorders. You may schedule a consult via Skype or telephone by calling 801-898-3317 or via email by accessing his website, hugorodier.com. H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R dot com. No insurance accepted, but a form is available to apply for reimbursement from your insurance, except for Medicare. Dr. Rodier speaks English, French, and Spanish. Stephanie Slavin in this song pays tribute to Robert Johnson in a song called Gifted. You must have got your gifts from the devil Your lyrics uplifted Because they're on the new level Shoulder, or is he hiding from 
This is a talk this is a talk show. You can call in 188-627-6008. That's 188-627-008. We're going to hear something which uh I would be glad to uh you to join Don and me in making comments. That's N N97, something new from uh that we haven't played yet from uh from Jake Morophonius. Let me be more specific about the area that is a most concern to me right now. And of course, this is subject to change. This stuff changes all the time. In 2017, I had reported that the Pentagon was covertly massing 
thousands of U.S. troops along the, the uh, northern border of Jordan, up near the Syrian border. Got several bases there that are supposed to be secret, but they're not. Now, some of the troops that were sent there were, were transferred into Syria to establish a military base. They call it At-Tanf, A-T space T-A-N-F, if you want to look it up on Google or you can see the area I'm talking about, At-Tanf. But, but they also call it the 55-kilometer area because you've got the, the, the Jordanian border. Here's Jordan. Here's Syria. They've got this semicircle in Syria, up in Syrian territory. And it covers about 55, a radius of about 55 kilometers. And the Syrian territory in the center of it is the Atanf base where the, the U.S. troops are, most of them. It's a U.S. base, an illegal U.S. base. But all throughout this 55-kilometer uh, territory, it's brimming with U.S.-backed rebel forces that they've been training. I'll name, I'll name some of them for you. There's the Lions of the East Army. There are the forces of Martyr Ahmad al-Bado, Abdo, al-Abdo, uh, the Army of Free Tribes, the forces of, uh, oh, what's it called? No, 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 the Revolutionary Commando Army. And then there's the Al-Qaridan Martyrs Brigade. Russia and Syria, if you look up the news right now, Russia and Syria all week long have both been repeatedly warning the United States military and the U.S. government directly of their intention to launch offenses against those rebel forces down in this 55-kilometer area. And so you've got the U.S. troops embedded there. Now, guys, the Syrians like Assad or not, and I'm not a big fan of Assad, but he's their elected leader. He has the right to try to repel foreign hostile invaders. It is the U.S.-backed mercenaries that are in there slaughtering Syrian civilians and trying to overthrow the government. Okay, that's who Assad and the Russians are trying to fight. But first, the Syrians and Russians are trying to get the United States troops out of the way. And they've been warning the United States military repeatedly. And most mainstream outlets from CNN right down to The Hill, which is uh, a popular one there in, in Washington, they've been publishing these Russian findings for the last four days. Let me read you what The Hill said. Quote, Russia has warned the United States multiple times this week that its forces are prepared to attack an area of Syria that has dozens of U.S. troops. Moscow reported claims the area, which includes a U.S.-led anti-ISIS coalition base, contains al-Qaeda or ISIS militants, according to the outlet. U.S. troops defend a 34-mile exclusion zone around Atanf base. And then if you go to Business Info Insider, they've got a headline this week that reads, quote, Russia reportedly warns the U.S. that it's prepared to attack a key base where dozens of U.S. troops are stationed. And, and then CNN, of course, confirmed uh, that, that several U.S. defense officials have are they're keenly aware of these Russian warnings. So clearly, neither the Syrians nor the Russians want to hit U.S. troops. They are trying to avoid it. They're sacrificing the element of surprise by spending a week warning U.S. troops to get out of the area. They don't want to attack Americans. Their beef is not 
with U.S. troops. But with all of this warning, you know how the United States has responded? Yesterday, U.S. CENTCOM, Central Command, responded to these warnings from Russia about this imminent attack by flying more than 100 more U.S. troops into that 55-kilometer area, flew them in by helicopter to reinforce the existing troops. They sent more troops in, more U.S. lives being put in harm's way to try to protect the what is by no, you can't debate it. This is an illegal American base. It's being used to train foreign mercenaries to wage a bloody terror spree throughout the country to destabilize Syria and overthrow the government. Now, why does this piss me off so much? It's because our troops are being purposely used in ways that the United States Congress has explicitly said they are not to be used. The way that the U.S. military troops are being used It's a direct violation of congressional authorization. You can look this up. House Joint Resolution 124. This is from the 113th Congress. The resolution that Congress passed was uh, the, the bulk of it is authorizing U.S. troops to work with rebel forces in Syria. But that same resolution specifically prohibits U.S. troops from being used in any hostile uh, hostile situations or potentially hostile situations. Let me read directly from the congressional authorization. This is H.R. Uh, 124. Quote, nothing in this section shall be construed to constitute a specific statutory authorization for the introduction of United States armed forces into hostilities or into situations wherein Hostilities are clearly indicated by the circumstances. In fact, let me, I'm just going to go ahead and put this link in the, uh, in the chat there. Guys, this is perfectly clear. Let me speak just for a second directly to my viewers here in the United States. Let me remind you of something that here in America that you need to understand. Taking a stand against Obama and now Trump and their ongoing support of this overthrow of Syria, that's not an option. That's your duty as American patriots. I know a lot of you claim to be patriots, and I believe that many of you are, but a lot of you aren't. A lot of you just like to say it. If you were a real American patriot, you need to choose who you're going to stand with in this situation. You can't stand with the rule of law with the Constitution and with our troops and simultaneously stand with a commander-in-chief and a corporate war industry that is using our troops in a way that clearly violates congressional authorization. Either you support the Constitution or you support Trump. Choose a side. I have. We need to call on President Trump to withdraw our troops from, like the authorization said, withdraw our troops from situations wherein hostilities are clearly indicated by the circumstances. Well, this is uh, pretty clear. I actually went to the um, 
to the uh, Congressional House Joint Resolution to look it up. Looked at 124. Nothing in this section shall be construed to constitute a specific statutory authorization for the introduction of United States forces into hostilities or into situations wherein hostilities are clearly indicated by the circumstance. Once you say they're clearly indicated by the circumstance, if, if what is being said is true here. Well, that's why you got to come up with chemical attacks and all the other bull, right? Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's depressing. But here's interesting. You know Tulsi Gabbard from the Hawaii, U.S. representative for Hawaii? Right. Not many people will, would, will, are willing to say what she has just said or about uh, stuff about Syria and these um, false flags, possible false flags. This is what she said to to uh, our friend uh, um, Wolf Blitzer, N98. Let's talk about this chemical attack. Uh, you tweeted uh, about the attack, and I'll put it up on the screen. You, you tweeted this, whoever is found responsible, be it the Syrian government, al-Qaeda, or ISIS, all have access to chemical weapons, must be held accountable. Who do you believe is responsible for that chemical attack that killed so many civilians, including so many ch children? Here's the issue, Wolf, is what I believe, what you believe, or others believe is irrelevant. What matters here is the evidence and the facts. Uh, if President Assad is found to be responsible after an independent investigation for these horrific chemical weapons attacks, I'll be the first one to denounce him, to call him a war criminal, and to call for his prosecution, the International Criminal Court, make sure that those consequences are there. But the key is now with President Trump's reckless uh, military strikes last night, uh, it flew directly in the face of the action that the UN was working on at that time to launch an independent investigation, to find out exactly what the facts are, who was involved and who was responsible, so that the appropriate uh, consequences could be levied. So, Congresswoman, when the Pentagon says it was the Syrian regime of Bashar al-Assad who was responsible, when the Secretary of State says that, the President says that, uh, they all conclude that they have the evidence to back it up, they say Assad did it, his military did it. You don't believe them necessarily. Well, last time I checked, Wolf, Congress had the authority and the responsibility for declaring war, for authorizing the use of military force. So whether the president or the Pentagon or the secretary of state says that they have the evidence, the fact remains that they have not brought that evidence before Congress. They have not brought that evidence before the American people, and they have not sought authorization from Congress to launch this military attack on another country. The fact is that the United States has been waging this war, this regime change war now for years, covertly through the CIA to overthrow the Syrian government. The result of this has been the suffering of, of the Syrian people, hundreds of thousands of people dead, millions of refugees, and the strengthening of terrorist groups in Syria, like al-Qaeda and ISIS, whose goal is to overthrow the Syrian government. So this escalation that President Trump took yesterday in launching this military attack continues this so illegal, unconstitu unconstitutional war. Well... Do you see how he, he's baiting her? Why don't you believe that the Pentagon and the president and the intelligence services have, have given you that they say they know? You know, I've heard that so many times on CNN and MSNBC, you know, the argument by authority. 
when the authority has been proven to have a history of incredible um, so being incredible sources of disinformation. Don? No, I agree. Um, and our intelligence apparatus is very compromised. I mean, we see that uh, with the CIA and the FBI and the money behind it, uh, behind the CIA, uh, is foreign yeah. money. And it's, you know, uh, European foreign money, mostly, to be quite honest. And uh, it's it's a little shameful. I mean, I, I really don't know what to say in this respect other than um, the abuse of power is pretty extreme, yes. Well, uh, we're going to go into now um, a little bit about why this war is happening. Quite a few months ago, inspired again by some claims by Jake, by Jake Morphonius, who we just heard from before several times, warned us about the oil dr drilling in Golan Heights and the potential pipeline through Syria desired by Israel, the United States, and its European allies. So I'm going to go over, play a few telling you videos from different sources. The Golan Heights is partially occupied by Israel and was now now appears to um, appears to be claiming for its own because they've just given the drilling rights to Gene Oil. You, if you uh, don't own a country uh, or, or an area, you don't give drilling rights to anybody unless you're leasing it, uh, and they weren't leasing it. Want to know why all this war is happening? Oil is first on the list, along with perhaps security for Israel because of Iran's forces, along with Russia having been invited in with Assad. So now uh, we're going to play uh, M13. Now, before we can get into the significance of what I found here, we need to provide some background information for context. We're going to start back in 2009 when Qatar proposed a pipeline plan to Assad in order to send its natural gas into Europe through Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Jordan. Now, Assad refused this offer in order to, quote, protect the interest of its Russian ally, which is Europe's top supplier of natural gas. So Assad essentially just said thanks, but no thanks. And then one year later, Assad began negotiations for another pipeline plan, only this one is going to carry Iranian gas to Europe across Iraq and Syria. And of course, if this were to be built, Europe's dependence on Russia is going to continue, and that is in Assad's best interest. Now, here, many journalists have correctly pointed out that the U.S.-backed Qatar-Turkey pipeline into Europe is in direct competition with, and in fact in direct conflict with the Russian-backed Iranian-Syrian pipeline into Europe. And this has led many to speculate that these, this current proxy war in Syria right now has everything to do with maintaining the flow of gas and energy into Europe through these particular pipelines. But what I have discovered here paints a bit of a different picture because according to my research, the X that marks the spot, so to speak, is not here. But it is in fact down here in a region known as Golan Heights. This is on Syria's land, but two-thirds of it is occupied by Israeli forces. And here's where it gets interesting. In 2013, a company called Genie Oil and Gas was granted exclusive oil and gas exploration rights 
to this 153 square mile radius here in the southern part of the Golan Heights. And this was granted to them by none other than the Netanyahu government. And as it turns out, in 2015, it was discovered that this Israeli-occupied Golan Heights in Syria has more oil and gas than Saudi Arabia does. Guys, this is huge because you can now officially add Israel into the mix when it comes to potentially sparking World War III, all because of oil in Syria. Well, let's uh, let's go on with. Uh, oh, that's pretty interesting, huh? It is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I knew mean, about that, true, and uh, it makes sense because you know empire building requires. A lot of resources, yours, mine, and everybody else's. <laughs> well, I guess you up the ante if you if you have more oil than in Saudi Arabia. If it's true, I mean, I don't know. No doubt. So here, here's a little conversation about uh, how how other people feel about this oil company being there with uh, N14. Living in a border area disputed by two nations may be hard enough, but the Druze community in the Golan Heights are now facing another difficulty, that of oil exploration on their doorstep. An American company started drilling wells there with Israel's approval, but locals fear they won't uh, reap any of the benefits, as Paulus Lee has been finding out for us. For many, it's hard to tell where Israel ends and Syria begins. For decades, the Druze community of the disputed Golan Heights has been locked in between two nations hostile to each other. And when profit enters the scene, the hope of ever ending the status quo dies. With the approval of Tel Aviv, American gas and oil giant Afik is now beginning a huge amount of drilling in the Golan. For Sami Ayob, a Druze who lives in the area, this adds insult to injury. One thing we know in the Golan Heights is that Syrian and international law prohibits the occupation from exploiting natural resources. These belong to the Syrian people and they should be redistributed to their owners. But while local communities blame each other, corporate figures are turning a profit. The agreement is for three years, during which Afik can drill 10 wells in order to search for oil. Experts believe it exists in a conventional liquid form, but they won't know until they start drilling. And they insist it's safe. But environmental experts disagree. 900 oppositions to the project have been filed by locals, Jewish and Druze alike. Their biggest concern is that even if only a small amount of oil seeps into the underground water network, it could eventually reach the Sea of Galilee and make Israel's largest freshwater reservoir undrinkable. This is not against Afek, and it doesn't matter what oil they're digging for. Any oil digging will destroy the whole Golan area, its environment, and it will endanger the people. But Israel hopes the find will provide security and independence, especially after relations with nations like Turkey, where a lot of Israel's energy dependence comes from, have deteriorated. Ultimately, though, it's a foreign party who benefits. The Americans have the expertise. Even when an Israeli company gets the permits, like in this case, the people who are doing the drilling are those with expertise foreigners. In Israel, because this is so rare and the chance is so slim, we don't have too many investors and we lack the expertise. But it's still early days. There may not even be oil underground. The benefits, however, will be far removed from the people who may or may not be living on top of it. Paulus Lea RT, Northern Israel. Well, maybe they have it, and maybe they don't, and maybe it's going to pollute the whole area's water. Uh, you know, 
water facilities and capacities. Who knows? It's really hard to tell when you're dealing with this, but we can know something about the structure of their organization. So let's go to N15. New Jersey-based Genie Energy is digging for oil in Syria, even though it clearly violates international law under the Geneva Convention. You don't have to dig too far to find out how this genie clawed out of its oil barrel. First, the reason it violates international law. Genie Oil has been granted permits to drill in Syria, not by Syria, but by Israel. That's because they're going to dig in the region of Syria known as the Golan Heights, which is occupied by the Israelis now. That occupation itself violates international law, and the drilling specifically violates the annex to the Fourth Geneva Convention. So Israel's right to dig there is hotly contested, and yet that's exactly what's happening with Genie Oil. Now for the reasons they're getting away with it. Heading up the effort is a man named Afi Aitim. He's a former Israeli military commander who has said in an actual speech, we cannot be with all these Arabs and we cannot give up the land because we have already seen what they do there. Some of them may be able to stay under certain conditions, but most of them will have to go. So this anti-Arab Israeli is heading the charge for genie oil to drill in Syria. He makes for a powerful force to drive the drilling forward, but his cohorts are even more powerful. Because Genie Oil investors include none other than Dick Cheney, Rupert Murdoch, Lord Jacob Rothschild, ex-CIA director James Woolsey, ex-Secretary of the Treasury Larry Summers, ex-Governor of New Mexico Bill Richardson, and other ex-members of American government. They are all invested in Genie Oil. And they all stand to profit big time for drilling in the already ravaged Syria. So it should come as no surprise that the project is moving along nicely. Genie just finished the flow testing phase and is now analyzing samples from their drilling site. So instead of putting money and food and help into Syria, these Western billionaires and their government cohorts are taking oil and money out of Syria. Apparently, there will be no putting this greedy genie back into its barrel. Well, wow. Look at that roster of advisors and shareholders. Amazing, huh? It's all about the money. I never would have suspected that. I'm mortified. <laughs> Well, we're going to have to depart now, Don, hoping desperately that war will not break out in the serious scenario we've described. I'm praying about it. I, I doubt have to it. Admit. I, I, yeah. I doubt it. I, this has been a long plan. We've actually been planning this um, with the Russian government. We've been planning it with, of course, uh, our own. Which internal, are you talking about? Um, Syria. What's going on in Syria? This has all kind of been a pre-plan. Genie's been in there for a long time, let's be honest. And, um, you know, we're continuing to send, uh, you know, some of set up our bigger corporations in the money grab. Uh, it's par for the course. It's unfortunate. I don't like well, what's but, going but on. You're not, but you're not saying that Russia is uh, collaborating, though, right? I, I think the Russia and the U.S. have sat down prior to what's going on. And, and, and Syria became a hotbed because they wanted to build a pipeline in there. They wanted to bring oil to Europe and Russia and the U.S. And, of course, Europe and that whole 
uh, um, Syrian movement has always been because of the oil pipelines, always begun as the oil distribution and uh, the gathering of it. Uh, it's been known for a long time. I, again, I think secret meanings, um, you know, these, these people have gotten behind closed doors and they made up a plan and look at the hotbed now. Uh, I think it's still well within their plan. Uh, I doubt well, it's going to lead to a, really... a major world war. I think it's going to lead to a few of our corporations getting richer and richer and richer. Well, I think that it's going to at least lead, lead to... Uh, I don't share your um, your concept of the collaboration because the Russians want to build a pipeline elsewhere. And it's a little bit... This is really against their advantage. Uh, to have Syria, to lose Syria, because they'd have to lose Syria, and they they're almost got Syria just one province away. I think uh, that I do think there's a reality here, Don, that um, the, the 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 Syrians and uh, and the Russians are going to attack this province, and and we may still be there, but they're going to attack it, and they're going to try to take it back. Don't you think? Regardless of that point. You know, I there's always going to be, you know, um, you know, they're always going to be where they try to. Put, well, let me put it to you this way: I agree with you. Yes, I agree. Okay. Yeah, it just, uh, it just seems. I mean, look at look at the way he flip. You know, Trump flip flops on Russia. Now he, like I, th- I think he is. He can't. He can't. Uh, deal with them in the way that he wanted to. And I think the way he wanted to, at least on the surface, not knowing why he wanted to and all the obligations he might have to, uh, was a very good thing. I liked it. I didn't feel like he, he betrayed the United States in that meeting with Russia. I think he uh, seemed to be trying to, uh, to uh, be amenable to discussions. But nonetheless, whether he was or he wasn't, um, He's, he's doing things that Russia, I think, does not like. Well, that's on the surface, right? Well, you know, again, I don't know how much on the surface. create the hotbed in order to get things done as far as they're concerned. So the hotbed's being created in a substantial way, and, you know, there's okay. substantial resources there. So I don't think that Russia really wants to be... Okay, I, I think there is a genuine animosity between Russia and the United States in, in Syria right now. I don't know. But, but, I but, mean, yeah, well, it's okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, you have to decide. You have to draw lines of what you believe in, and and sometimes those lines are hard to draw. I don't. Be- I do believe that Russia and the United States are 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 against each other in certain ways, and that's because Congress, uh, and you know, Congress or whatever's behind Congress, wants that to be that way. Um, they make it look like that, you know, in a proxy war, let's say, uh, the way it's starting. Um, I don't think it's going to lead to a major war. I don't, I, uh, to be honest, I don't believe we're ever going to see that major World War III that's always been uh, um, introduced. You know, we've always thought World War One, World War Two, and then there's going to be the big World War Three. I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll have to wait and see. But well, I, I'm not really thinking there's going to be right now necessarily a World War Three. I think it's possible, 
But what I do think is that they are going to go, Syria and Russia are going to go in and take, try and take back this, this uh, province. It's all and, a negotiating uh, point. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, on that exciting uh, controversy, I'm going to uh, bring to an end to this exciting uh, show here. We're going to say our final goodbyes and go out with Patricia Welch's version of the classic Unchained Melody, made famous again in the film Ghost, which was a while ago. But uh, that, that, that song had a lot of copycats. Anyway, th this is a really marvelous uh, rendition. I don't think uh, you could hear a more beautiful version than the one you're about to. So thanks, Don. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thank you very much for allowing me to be on your show and to your audience. Thank you for uh, being a part of it. Appreciate it. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining Don Newsom and I on Inalienable and Free, Voice of the Coalition. As we go about developing our new organization, the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment, we hope you will consider the importance of taking part in the electoral processes of your government and asserting the rights you have to vote for the companies you respect and love by casting your ballot as a shareholder or as a consumer with what you buy. We hope soon to make this possible through a social network responsive to your needs through dialogue about your rights as a citizen, but also to be able to effectively act in concert with like-minded colleagues who find representatives of government and business executives will hear your voice and appreciate your message. See you soon. This is Johnny Blue Star. Imagine a dark night. The wind is crisp and cool. The sky cloudless and majestic. Perhaps you are walking alone or with a loved one. Scattered about the night sky are thousands upon thousands of points of light. Look above you, friends of this restless planet. Out there into the night sky, unknown worlds await. Beauty behind imagination. Intelligence beyond comprehension. Life in its infinite forms and variations yet all from the same seed, the same fundamental vibration. A cosmic tapestry of infinite light, yet each thread unique and indispensable. Look above you, out into the vastness of the night sky, for your destiny lies out there, somewhere among the stars.